you have to rake up the leaves. If you don't rake them up, then they turn into a big soggy mess. And then in the spring, they kill all the grass that's underneath it. Oh, hi, it's Pete Pomisano on another episode of RLTP's Off-Road. And holy cow, I went to see Guards at the Taj the other night. And talk about Off-Road. That show took me off-road. What a fascinating play. What a brilliant and beautiful production. And we'll tell you more about it later on because this week on Off-Road, we'll be talking to the director of Guards at the Taj, the fascinating, the lovely, the brilliant, the talented Miss Katie Mallinson. Now, Katie has been listed as the dramaturge for many plays for RLTP and for other theaters in the Buffalo area as well. And she's been a a sought-after director and an arts administrator. And I have to tell you that when I spoke to her, she had just tested positive for COVID, like many of the rest of us. And she was feeling fine, but... Her rehearsal schedule for Guards at the Taj had just gone remote. They were doing all the rehearsals by remote Zoom session, which, let me tell you, is no picnic. But she was delightful anyway, and it was a lot of fun to talk to her. I had so many questions about the play, but I also had questions about Katie herself. When I first met her, she was uh, just, well, I thought she was just this kid. I was directing a play for the Jewish Repertory Theater, and uh, she walked in as sort of an assistant stage manager, and I didn't know who she was, and I thought, well, here I am, this older guy who's been around, and I'm going to teach this kid some things, and little did I know that Katie was far more educated than I was at that moment in the theatrical arts. Anyway, enough about that. Let's talk to Katie Mellinson here on RLTP's Off-Road. Let's get back to Katie Mellinson. Hey, are you still Katie? I mean, when you become a Broadway aficionado, <laughs> are you going to be Catherine or Kathleen or, or were you born Katie? I was born Katie. Yeah. I used to say just Katie, but I felt like that was actually undermining me unless I was like just Katie, like my superhero. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, just Katie. Yeah. Well, like Kate Blanchett, is she is she Catherine? Or is she C A T E? What what is that all about? Right. I don't know. See, and they're all just infringing upon my Katiness oh. and Yeah, when you become famous, you you're gonna be explaining this a lot. No, it's just Katie. I know. Which is a lovely name, and it's delightful. That's not... Oh, but my whole life, yeah, my whole life I've gotten it. I remember my kindergarten art teacher saying, no, Katie is a nickname. What's your <laughs> real name? And, you know, you're five, and I was like, it is my real name. And then <laughs> I go home to my mom, and I'm like, why didn't you give me a real name? And so oh, dear. I had like 10 years of wanting to change my name to everything under the sun. That's brutal. <laughs> especially, <laughs> it wasn't a nun, was it? Because they can be especially... No, <laughs> no, I don't think so. You're not Katie. You're either Catherine or Kathleen or. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that's you had to yeah. deal with that. Well, that's. Yeah, that's a shame. But I thought, you know, you're so in demand now as a director that I thought maybe you'd switch to Kate. Mm. But your actual given birth certificate name is Katie. It is. And, um, you know, I feel like th- there's something like a rhythm thing. I feel like because my last name has so many syllables, I almost feel like you need the, the Katie Melanson in order to, yes. to flow. I absolutely agree. Kate Melanson does not work for me. Yeah. <laughs> you know, your parents were not crazy. They they had it all. Were you named after somebody in your family? Like a great-grandma Katie? 
No, no. My mom just liked the name. And that's all I ever got out of her. She's like, I like the name. And I think they thought I was going to be a boy because this was, you know, they weren't getting the the gender reveal sonograms at that time. So I'm pretty sure they thought I was going to be a boy named, I think she said Jason or something. I don't know. <laughs> Are you Katie Ann? I am Katie Ann. Yep. Oh my gosh. Because Katie Marie doesn't work, but Katie Ann is lovely. Isn't that funny how it just flows now? Anne is a family name. My grandmother uh, was Anna. But yeah, so. Mm -hmm. All right. So let's let's get into the Melancins here. Are you originally from around here? I am. I grew up in Amherst. I went to Sweet Home High School. Sweet Home. And uh, then went to college. Yeah, Sweet Home, Panthers. Who else went to Sweet Home? Oh, Greg. Yep. I think Greg Howes went to went to Sweet Home. Yep. Separate years, I'm sure. No, we were we were in school at the same time. I mean, he was a few years older than me, but we both did um, West Side Story. That was my first musical. And he was in it. It wasn't your first theatrical experience ever, was it? No, I had done some middle school. Were you the third tree in kindergarten from the left? <laughs> and uh, Something similar. I think I, I think I was like a um, middle school tree. I was like a Wizard of Oz middle school tree, maybe. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so that was your first experience. I, you know, what I'm getting at here is I'm trying to figure out when this whole theater bug started, which always fascinates me because... For me, I was very late in life, so I'm always wondering, although I did play Davy Crockett in kindergarten. Oh. I'm sure you don't even know who Davy Crockett is. But I did the hat. At the, Davey, that's right. Davy Crockett. Oh, I'm surprised that you know that. Because there was a TV show, a Disney TV show in black and white, Davy Crockett, and it was the, everybody had the coonskin cap yep. with the raccoon tail sticking out the back. And I'll never forget, somebody stole mine. <laughs> And I got a junky Ooh. one. I had a really good one. That was my first theatrical experience. And the next one wasn't until college. <laughs> the next one wasn't until, you know, community theater many years later. Anyway. You're like Daniel Day-Lewis, right? You're just very choosy about your projects. You're going to just... Yeah, let's go with wait. that. Let's yeah, go. Yeah, yeah I, wait, I was waiting for the right one to come along. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, so you you got a little a little in middle school. You were a little involved in middle school yeah i think i mean i think i was probably by nature histrionic i didn't consider theater like a thing i would do but i you know i danced i've danced since i was like four so that was my thing and then always a bit of a ham i remember my younger cousin louie and i when we were uh we'd have family parties we were we would like play like waiters and stuff, I guess also getting prepared for a theater life. Like you're also going to be serving. Um, so we'd go around, we'd take everyone's order and we'd kind of like, you know, just be a bit of the hams uh, in that way. And my friends and I always, we just had vivid imagination. So I was a latchkey kid and in the summers we'd just be outside and making stories up and writing our own plays and putting on all these, these type of very dramatic scenarios and and it was just fun. It was just something fun to do. I didn't really think about it too seriously until right before college. Career-wise, you it wasn't a career. It was just fun. You were putting on a show for the folks. Yeah. That sort of thing. Let's go back to your parents for a second. Were they involved sure. in the arts in any way? Not formally. My dad has always been a bit of the um, artist, writer, dreamer type guy. Mm -hmm. So, you know, back in the day, he looked like Sonny Bono. And he probably still, if Sonny had lived, looks like him. We all did in those days, Kate. We all looked like that. Right. Get the stash. <laughs> I had it. I had the stash. <laughs> Which is back and popular. But, um, but yeah, so I, I you know, I, he, he would draw things. And I, I remember him writing a lot, but definitely not 
performance wise. And neither my parents or my sister, none of them are very performative. I guess I'm just, I just got all of the genes. So you have have one sister. (laughs) That's your only sibling? I have two sisters, two older sisters. One is here and one is in Arizona. Oh, that's nice. And, And neither of them are in show business either. Nope, but uh, my nieces, my nieces seem to have gotten that uh, <laughs> bug. My one niece and I did a 48-hour film festival together actually last year, so she made her film debut with me. Did your family go to plays and theater stuff, you know, as a family, or did your parents ever? Like, I remember taking my daughter to see Cats three times, <laughs> and we went to Toronto to see, uh, you know, Phantom, and we went, to, you know, we saw Les Mis and so on, all the things that were popular when she was younger. Did your family do that? We did a little bit of that. I remember the first the first big play I remember seeing was Anything Goes at art park or maybe it was singing in the rain oh now i can't remember it was at our park i just remember you know when our park did all the musicals yes it might have been singing in the rain and i was probably like seven or eight and i just i loved the tap dancing and you know you joked about me knowing davy crockett and the thing is is i was a strange child that we didn't have cable we didn't have any of that stuff. So I grew up watching reruns and listening to my parents' oldie stations. So my childhood was like the 50s and 60s. I just didn't realize it wasn't contemporary. Like, I watched all those shows. I loved, like, the, the musicals, the Gene Kellys and all of that. So I, you know, ask me about the 80s or 90s, and I wasn't so great. But ask me the 50s and 60s, and I'm right, <laughs> I'm right there. <laughs> so your parents' interests and your parents' culture sort of but so what were you interested in high school and were you just a, a dancer and that sort of thing you enjoyed those things you weren't into sports at all were you i was on the varsity gymnastics team Ooh. mostly because my my sister my older sister was and of course you know you want to do those things was i very mm-hmm. good absolutely not <laughs> i was pretty good at the beam that's how i got my varsity letter but i did that for a couple of years and then i you know you have to choose because it was either that or musicals and plays, and I felt more comfortable with musicals and plays. And the beam is so hard, Katie. Oh my God, it, it, it's, it's so hard. It's not easy. It's <laughs> um, and <laughs> it's very hard too, especially when you uh, have you ever straddled a beam. Oof. No, but I've seen it happen. I've seen it when they do it on purpose in the Olympics, and their legs go down like this and over. I think, yeah. oh, oh my God! Yeah, I don't even. Yeah, that's why men don't do the beam, Katie. I mean, I'm glad I did it when I was, you know, flexible and brave. <laughs> I still do love a good cartwheel now and then. So let me ask you this: You start looking at colleges, you end up at NU. <laughs> like 95% of the Buffalo theater people right now are NU graduates. Yeah. How did that happen? Did you actually search out places with theater? And were your parents happy about that? I mean, did they say, or like most people, did they say, okay, but what are you going to do for a real job? Well, this is my <laughs> this is my um, TV show story. So I was not going to do theater. I was going to be an English teacher. So I was going to go to a place called Hartwick College. Um, and my goal was to be a high school English teacher because I had had such fantastic English teachers at Sweet Home. And I also love books. I love reading. That was always my really my first love. And I think that's how I loved theater in some ways was just to kind of explore those worlds, even in my mind. So I was going to do that. And then I thought like maybe minor at Hartwick. Hartwick did not have a theater program. But again, I just I never, you know, if I'm honest, I didn't think I was good enough. <laughs> so it, it was just something I didn't consider. 
But then as people do, you get a, a crush on a boy and that boy needed a ride to an audition for the Niagara Summer Fine Arts Program that was being run by Tim Ward. So I graduated high school and that summer I gave this boy a ride to the auditions. And then I, they're like, well, why don't you audition? Because they were doing Anything Goes and I was a tap dancer. So they needed tap dancers. So I did and I got in. They offered me to be one of the angels. It was, um, I think it was Gracie Shoup was choreographing and hmm. Tim Ward was directing. And so I had so much fun and I met all of these wonderful folks that were either at Niagara or going to Niagara, including like, like Susan Drozd was one oh. of the angels with me in, really? in the okay. cast. It was the first time I met her. I think I, I think Kelly Copps was involved at the time as well. So again, we were all very young. And so I'm doing this thing and everyone's like, you like theater, you should do theater. And I said, oh no, I can't. And then somebody called Dr. Sharon Watkinson for me and said, we have a person who's very interested in theater. You should meet with her. So I have Dr. Sharon calling me up. Wow. Would you like to meet with me to talk about theater? So I said, okay. I drove up to Niagara on my own. I didn't tell my parents anything. This is August now. <laughs> I talked to Dr. Sharon. She talked to me about the program. I basically applied and they accepted me and I went home and I said, hey, mom and dad, remember how I was going to go to Hartwood College? I'm now going to go to Niagara and I'm going to study theater. <laughs> Yay! <laughs> Their reaction was whatever you want, Katie. <laughs> Right. I mean, for the listeners, they just nodded, just did not. Oh, oh, okay. All right. Sure. We'll make it happen. That's wonderful. You know, in that way, they've always been very supportive. And I think they liked that I was going to be closer. I did end up double majoring in English and theater. So I still had that very lucrative English degree. <laughs> yes. Very valuable because I had one as well. Just very quickly, Hartwick, I, I'm not familiar with that. Where is that located? That's in Oneonta. So um, it's a private college out east by like Albany Way. So there, it's basically SUNY Oneonta. And then there was this college named Hartwick. And and how did you how did you come across that? I, I mean, I'm just an idiot. I've never even heard of it. But the choice to go there to study English seems... Ridiculous? Well, just a little, just a little, you know, unusual. So these are all the reasons, ways I would not advise anybody to pick out a college. But I, again, I was a dreamer and I love movies and whatever. And I, I remember getting the ads for it. Like they sent me a very beautiful okay. thing in the mail and it, it looked like a university. It just looked like what it was supposed to be. And it was a small school and, you know, like you go there and it, it just had the facade and they had like heated stairs and at, you, they gave every student a laptop, which at the time, unheard of. not recently, that was like unheard of. And it just seemed like the quintessential college experience. And I would get away from home and I would just do all of the things that you imagine. And I'm so glad I didn't go. Not any disrespect to Hartwick, but I just, it would not have been the right thing. Mm -hmm. So that's how life intervenes sometimes, I think. So you go to NU and, and were you thinking performance this whole time? I don't think I was thinking anything. <laughs> I think I still <laughs> believed that I would eventually be an English teacher and I would also teach theater. I did perform an undergrad, but I was never very comfortable with it. I just just didn't totally seem right for me. And then I just loved my theater history courses. I loved the literature courses and I loved all that, like how it is put together. And that captured my imagination more. How interesting, because of course, you know, a lot of people, they go to college for theater and because they are very performance driven. And you're, I've never seen you perform, but I did see the trailer 
<laughs> for the movie we will talk about shortly. And you were pretty darn good. So I'm assuming you must have had some chops, but that's not where you felt comfortable. No, and I mean, I, I suppose I might have been better than I gave myself credit for. But one of the things that I realize now on the other end of it is like, is that comfort and ability to play is so important. And if I didn't have that, I think that was already limiting me when I was younger. And I think that the reason I've done it a bit more now is because in a weird way, I am more comfortable. So I'm more open and willing to take the risks that I felt I couldn't do because I was so self-conscious, right? It was so self-conscious. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, I, I think I always had a pretty good textual understanding. I already always had like a good idea, but I was just never very good at taking the chances or making the big choices that I think you see in the successful actors. I see. And, and that makes so much sense to me now that you then become dr a dramaturge. Well, I, I'm, I'm jumping ahead, but I don't want, I don't really want to, but the whole idea that you, you love the analysis of the scripts and the, the literature and the actual text itself, mm -hmm. that of course, of course, your strength would be in directing eventually down the road because, and also that's why your interest in English and becoming an English teacher. I mean, I was an English teacher, as you probably know, and I did it for 30 some years. And there was something about the analysis of literature mm -hmm. that I just loved doing. I loved reading Catcher in the Rye 50 times and, and discovering something new every time. Mm -hmm. Oh, look at the way he used that word. Oh, that is so clever. And then, of course, that's one of the things that drew me to teaching English to begin with. And you're very disappointed to find out that when you get to high school to teach it, you spend very little time doing literature because the kids haven't read it or they couldn't care less, mm -hmm. or you're still trying to teach them the difference between T-O and T-O-O and the, the difference between what your dream of talking about literature was and what the reality is, is miles apart. Yep. So the analysis of scripts and looking at the text now it makes so much sense that that was a great interest of yours. And I, you have to, but I didn't know. I mean, again, at that time, I hadn't heard the word dramaturgy yet. And there was not a lot of models that I was aware of for other paths to do theater. So I knew you could perform and I knew a bit, a bit about the backstage and because we had to do all of that, yeah. but I was never a designer, but especially for women, like I don't, I didn't see a lot of female directors. There certainly weren't dramaturgs around all these other areas. I mean, it was still kind of new. And did you, let's see, what, what came first? Because I knew you, of course, the first time I met you was when I was doing Duck Variations in 2011. Mm -hmm. And you were like an ASM on that. I don't know your age and I'm not going to ask, but is that right in between <laughs> your graduation or was it after you went to, to study dramaturgy or what was the time frame of that? Because I know you graduated from NU with the English and the, and the theater degree, but then you went on to get a fine arts uh, master's at the Institute for Advanced Theater Training at Harvard. So when did that happen and, <laughs> and why did that happen? Yeah, so that was another one of those series of accidents. I mean, I feel like my, my memoirs will be like, this is, you know, just follow those, those accidents. So I, I was finishing up in Niagara with my two degrees. And I had recently come across this idea of dramaturgy and was exploring the different programs that would offer that because I was fascinated by this, the prospect of being able to read and study theater as a job. Like that was the first very concrete, like this is a job or a profession that I wanted to explore. And then when I 
came across the Institute for Advanced Theater Training, I kind of felt like a no-brainer if, if I were to get in. I mean, it was a bit of a dream, right? You could go to the American Repertory Theater at Harvard. You got to study for a semester in Moscow, which when else would you ever go study at the Moscow Art Theater? Can we stop just for a second mm -hmm. and explain what is dramaturgy for those who don't understand it? Because we're tossing it around as if it, yeah, it's common knowledge, but it's not. Aside from seeing it in the program where it says Katie Mellinson dramaturge, maybe people don't understand what it is and what it involves. Yeah. So the the sort of dry academic definition would be basically a study of dramatic composition or the dramatic composition itself. But that also is like, what does that mean? So for me, dramaturgy is a is a mindset. It's a world. It's a process by which you approach theater. And it's really the the whole, it's looking at the comprehensive whole of a play, of a story and questioning, right? Questioning how things are put together, why things are put together. So it can be, it's a process. It's, it's something that you do. It's something that's part of the script in the world itself. Like dramaturgy is a, like every, all the plays have dramaturgy. Um, and again, it's like values to me. Like it's the values of questioning and looking at the whole and trying to make connections. Is it taking the script as a whole, but then tearing it apart and investigating various references, various... Uh, does it involve researching mm -hmm. the story and the maybe even the playwright, maybe even the references he makes to characters or historical figures? Is does, does that make sense to you? Yeah, yeah. I realize now that I'm trying to explain it myself, how hard it is to explain it. Yeah, and I mean, the joke is, even among dramaturgs, like you ask 100 dramaturgs, you'll get 100 different answers. <laughs> so there are different avenues of it, you know, production dramaturgy, new play dramaturgy, and academic. So there is a certain aspect, if there's an existing text, especially something that's older, 100 years plus, that involves the research and contextualizing of it. So that's certainly part of it, but also for me, it's helping to understand. It's doing it's any process to help clarify and understand the story. If you're working on a new play with a playwright that's alive, you know, it's maybe you're not doing as much research unless they need it, but it could be more of working with story structure and clarity of themes and and things like that. It's just trying to be the third eye or being that other perspective. To, to, to look at a piece, but it definitely can involve research and analysis as well as conversations and connections. It's a very intensive analysis of a script. Yeah. As opposed to just picking up the script and saying, okay, you stand here and you stand here and this is here and their relationship is this and your relationship is that. And then that's, and then let's go tell the story. Right. It really gets into it in, in great detail. I didn't mean to spend this much time on it, but I, it occurs to me that it's you know, it's it's a tough thing to explain, and it, obviously, it is. So, all right. So then, you you get into Harvard. Mm -hmm. Somehow, you probably had the qualifications to get in. You won't say it, but you must have, and that was a great experience for you. Yeah, it was all the things I think you'd expect or hope grad school to be, which is a, was challenging. It changed my worldview. It introduced me to a lot of the things that have really set the tone for my path as far as what I'm interested in and. Yeah, it was invigorating. Was that before I met you in 2011? Yes, it was. So I went right from undergrad into grad school. Mm -hmm. And then I finished grad school and I moved back home. Um, I wasn't quite sure what I was going to do. And I've had a bit of a 
tempestuous relationships with theater. And I feel like I've always been trying to run away from it. And yet it always keeps finding me. <laughs> the first time going into undergrad, like it found me and then leaving. And so I actually left grad school and I was kind of like, I don't even know if I want to do theater anymore. I don't know. So I was almost like hiding out. I didn't plan on doing theater in Buffalo. I didn't plan on staying that long. So who dragged you into it? Yeah, right. Uh, so uh, this is, um, I think I sort of rambled this out at the Artis this year. I had met a new friend, not a theater person. We had gone out to Mohawk Place to see a band. And she had a friend who had a friend that worked at the Jewish Repertory Theater. <laughs> and that person was looking for, at the time, actually, was actually a wardrobe assistant. And all they knew was that, like, I liked theater because I really didn't even talk about what I did. I was like, oh, yeah, I kind of do theater. <laughs> kind of. Um, so this was uh, Christy Allen. I don't know. If... Yeah, I knew. I remember Christy. Yes. I think she's the managing director at the time. And so I didn't know her at all. And she called me. She said, hey, I need a wardrobe person for being Bernie Madoff which Robert Rutland had, was starring at the time. So I was like, I that's that. fine. I, just something fun to do. Like I'll tiptoe back in. And then they needed an ASM for Duck Variations and The Jewish Wife. Jewish Wife, yes. So I did that. And then it sort of snowballed from there. And eventually it came out that I had studied dramaturgy and I did this thing. So Scott Behrend, one night, I remember I was leaving Irish where I was also ASMing. And I, this guy was like, hey, are you Katie Mallinson? you do dramaturgy like he'd seen my bio and he was like we should talk and I was like oh no, okay I don't know who this guy is but okay and we had this great conversation and as Scott does he he's like I you're, there's something interesting here I need to know more mm -hmm. and he just uh, graciously pulled me into the loop of roadless traveled and the rest is history you know it's funny because <laughs> I'm thinking back to doing duck variations and here comes this strange pretty girl to be an ASM and of course, you were way more educated than I, and now here I am directing the show, one of the shows, and you were way more educated than I am in this whole theater business. I'm learning just now. <laughs> to me, you were just some kid fresh out of college, and uh, and I said, good, yeah, yeah, seems like a nice kid, but obviously I was... Uh, <laughs> uninformed so <laughs> well but i didn't feel like i knew like you know what i mean i still felt very new and fresh in many ways and i think everybody should take a stint as an asm or in some capacity one just to really see all the different elements and how it works yes and always to remember that that aspect and and i mean all that was so invaluable i'm really really grateful that i that i had all those experiences because uh, I think it really just formulated so much when I did become a director. So then Scott Scott brings you in. Uh, you're an ensemble member now of Road Less Traveled. Mm -hmm. So Scott brings you in. And at first, I noticed your name on the programs all the time as for doing dramaturgy. And some of the inserts that were in the program were compiled by you. Mm -hmm. Not just compiled, but created by you. There, the Road Less Traveled always had an insert mm -hmm. with additional information now, because you've directed at the CAV, you've directed at Irish Classical, you've directed at Lancaster, you've directed it, you know, for the JRT and for Road Less Traveled. So how does that start? Yeah, so I had been the dramaturg for Road Less Traveled for maybe like two seasons, I think. And then Scott reached out and he said, hey, have you ever thought about directing? Now, I had, I, I will say, I, I had done... I think one, maybe two of the um, new play readings for Manuel Freed when they had the mm -hmm. Manny Freed new playwright. So I dabbled in that for, for one of the stage readings. 
but he called he called me and said have you ever thought about directing and I was like yes no maybe ah terror because honestly I I hadn't actually really thought about it realistically but he had this script for the unproduced screenplay about the death of Walt Disney by Lucas Nate mm-hmm. and he's like I've got this script and I just I feel like it would be something really interesting and good for you do you want to do it and I was terrified and I was like absolutely not but the words yes came out of my mouth um <laughs> sometimes you can't help because yourself. you can't you know and I mean that's just sort of like you, you have to say yes especially if you're scared so I said yeah I, w- I would love to so he gave me that opportunity and it was such an amazing experience and then he offered me a script for the next season um and it just kind of snowballed from there and I was pretty much exclusively working with Road Less in the beginning. And then Irish Classical in 2017, they had to have a last minute sort of replacement, if you will. I see. And so, you know, Vincent and Fortune were very kind and, and offered me that opportunity, which was amazing. Because after Jewish Rep, Irish Classical was like the second stop on my theatrical journey. So that was such an honor. And that cast was amazing. So that was the first time I really started moving beyond Road Less Traveled. And then from there, the rain caught, like all of a sudden I was like, oh, this is a whole new thing. And how exciting. (laughs) (laughs) And I, yeah, like who me? (laughs) Yeah. But, you know, obviously your fame spread and people, it became a very positive word on the street that uh, Katie Mallinson, and frankly, not to negate any of your accomplishments, but the world of women directors opened up all of a sudden as well. Mm -hmm. You know, it wasn't just Kyle, you know, Kyle LeConte was the only one for a long time or, or Josephine or or something. And then like Lorraine over at the Cav, one year she had all women directors. Mm -hmm. And so the door opened and you were able to step through it and you wouldn't have been able to do it if if you hadn't been so successful at it you weren't getting the job just because you were a woman is what i'm trying to say right but the more doors opened because of that i think you'd probably agree with that (laughs) yeah it did seem to be an interesting time and i hadn't actually really thought about being a female director until i was starting to do it and then realizing what was shifting and then just wanting to really help propel that momentum or for other women. Do you think that there's something about your directing style or your personality or something that that makes you so successful as a director? Well, I mean, first I'll have to accept your uh, so successful uh, statement. I mean, I'm not sure. My premise? Yeah, your premise. Oh, well, just go with it for now. I'll go with it, yeah. I don't know. I mean, I, I sometimes still even don't always feel confident in calling myself a director because because I still feel in many ways I'm learning. I felt the same way. I, I feel the same way about acting. That's, that's yeah, another story. Like, yeah. Do you ever, you're always learning. Always. I think I, my hope is that I I try to be collaborative. I My hope is that I can give create a space where everybody gets to bring in their talents and ideas. You know, I I know what a script should, in my mind, I feel like I know what the script should be and how to tell it. And I know how to get it there. But I'm also very aware that I don't have other people's perspectives. And so I like to hear what they have to bring it in and to help shape it. So I feel like that makes for a very exciting process, even though it can be a little bit anxious at times because you don't have all the answers right away. But yeah, I I guess maybe that's it. 
I think, uh, well, I, I couldn't agree with you more. I'm not about your, I haven't had the pleasure of working with you as an actor and a director, but I can agree with you more that it's such a collaborative process. Really, that's what it's all about. The, the director's job, you know, with all the collaborators is to make choices from other things that are brought into you. And you say, yes, I like that. No, I don't like that. Yes, I'll take that. Yes, that's a good idea. But it has to be brought in from others, set designer and the lighting designer, they all have their own thing. Mm -hmm. And they're going to bring things in and you get the final word, you get the final word, but you didn't start with the final word, the final word comes after you're presented with, with choices that the others bring in. And that is you're absolutely right. That's what makes it such a collaborative process. And, And obviously, that's something you're good at. I have to tell you that this original podcast was scheduled to to run on November 7th, which is three days before your opening. Now it's going to run one week later, which has pluses and minuses because people might want to tune in and find out who the hell this Katie Mallinson person is who directed this crazy show. (laughs) Or we might be just in, in time to start doing some extra promotion. So let me just tell everybody that you are the director of the next show at the Road Less Traveled Theater, a show that will have opened four days before this podcast airs. And it is called Guards at the Taj, as in Taj Mahal. It's written by Rajiv Joseph, who I'm going to have the pleasure of interviewing at some point as well. And I have not read it yet. And I don't want to read it. I want to be there on opening night and take it in because I have read two of his other plays. I read the, the Bengal Tiger at the Baghdad Zoo, and I read Gruesome Playground. Uh, uh, injuries. Injuries. And they both just floored me. I have read reviews of this. I have read descriptions of it. Tell us what the play is about. Yeah. Um, so and Guards at the Taj is, to me, a beautiful, funny, unsettling story of a friendship between two young men who are basically faced faced with a choice as they're as they're growing up yeah i don't want to give away too much but yeah it's a it's 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 a two-hander show that looks at this moment of two guards who are uh outside the taj on the first day it's supposed to be seen and revealed to the world and does it all take place the night before the taj is the taj mahal is going to be revealed to the world uh it takes place from the night before it's going to be revealed to a few days after so it does cover a bit of a few days Mm -hmm. and (laughs) i should just preface this by saying this rajiv joseph writes the most interesting and what's the word incendiary (laughs) plays Mm -hmm. you talk about them afterwards i i don't remember who handed me the scripts this was a couple of years ago when I think Gruesome Playground Injuries first came out, and somebody handed it to me and said, read this and tell me what you think. And I was just floored by it. Uh, mm-hmm. they're, they're, they're funny, and they're dramatic, and they're also weird. <laughs> and they're, uh, you know, it, it's really hard to describe. But correct me if I'm wrong, you will walk out of the theater talking about this play will precipitate conversation it will elicit emotional responses mm-hmm. not just laughter but also perhaps i don't know should i say this disgust yeah perhaps uh anger yeah 
but a wide range of emotions in one play. So the obvious question is, when you first read this, was it when Scott handed it to you and said, would you be interested in directing this? Or were you familiar with it? And then he handed it to you and you said, no freaking way. <laughs> no, actually. So Raheem Joseph came to Buffalo in 2016 mm-hmm. to do the, the a national new play residency at Roadless Traveled. So when Scott told us about this, you know, it was you know, planned well in advance. You know, he mentioned this player is coming and I, I had heard of Bengal Tiger and I think I had read it but I wasn't super familiar. So then I thought, well, I have to, I have to read these plays to know who this person is and all of that. So I just started devouring all of his plays. And actually it was a perfect timing that one of his shows, Mr. Wolf was premiering in um, Cleveland at the time. So I even drove out to Cleveland to see this play premiere Mm -hmm. because I wanted to see his work. And I was just so enamored of it because of all the things that you described, right? Like it's just really, for me, it really re- resonates with my aesthetic and interests. Like he, it's it's so clean in some ways and yet multi-layered, like the way he integrates images and ideas and it's so complex and you feel so many things at once, but. It's just brilliant. And his plays have won so many prizes. It's it's yeah really, and they're, and they're up for other prizes. It's fascinating. I've never seen one of his plays produced I am so excited to see this one uh, for a variety of reasons, but yeah, it is a night at the theater, unlike mm-hmm. unlike any other types of entertainment. Yeah, this is not a night at the movies. This is not a night seeing My Fair Lady. No, no. This is a night uh, of uh, a complex, fascinating, evocative theater. Let's quickly talk about your. It's a cast of. It's a two-hander. Yep. Talk about your cast a little bit. I could, but you go ahead and do it. Yeah, but I have a cast of two, Daryl Samira and Afrim Jambalai, mm-hmm. um, who I've worked with both of them before now, um, which was lovely. So I knew them going in and they just had such great chemistry from our very first informal gathering. And so it's been such a pleasure working with them and exploring with them. Um, because like I said, it's a play about a relationship between these two two friends who are really like brothers. And so even though Daryl and Frim didn't know each other before, you would never have guessed. Like they're just, it's its such wonderful chemistry. Mm-hmm. Very cool. Uh, and we should tell people who have not seen it yet, again, this will come out four days later, that it's its not a really long play. So don't say, oh, two and a half hours of listening to two guys talk. Come on. <laughs> and, and there's constant the play rolls along from from my understanding of it yeah so it's it, it but it again it's funny and it's serious and it's it's a it's a lot yeah well let, let me ask you here's something that just occurred to me so what's your biggest challenge you think in because you're you're really just about a third of the way through directing it right now maybe not even that much no we i mean we are just in our second week Mm-hmm. So there are some technical challenges, which if you see the yes. show, you'll understand mm-hmm. uh, about the deceptively simple things that happen. But I think the actual challenge is is finding that right balance between the comedy and the drama because it switches so quickly, which I actually find very refreshing and very real because that's how life is. Life can be absurd. And sometimes in your darkest moments, with you just find yourself laughing because that's what you have to do. So it's finding that right balance between the the absurd laughter that we have to do to survive and then these very intense 
painful moments. Almost horrific moments. For yeah, almost horrific, right? And so yeah. it's going to be a lot for people to take in. And so for me, it's it's trying to balance that challenge audiences, but also you know kind of create the the space around it so people can take it in. So that's actually more challenging than the technical things. We have a wonderful design and production team that's going to help make all the magic happen. Is is Diane doing the? Who's doing the set design? Diane Berlingame is doing the set design. Um, Jenna Damberger is doing our costumes. Diane mm. Jones is our props person. Props master, I should say. You have an A-team right there. I have the A-team, yeah. Um, Katie Menke Sound. And of course, John Rickus. Yeah. They are, I am just always so... What they did with Mysterious Circumstances, they, they uplifted that whole play beyond what I ever expected. They're, I'm always impressed by what they do at, at Roadless Traveled. Um, and Diane is one of the best as well, just to, and knowing as little as I do about the play, but there are certain things mm-hmm. that, that are actually important for a set designer to be able to get right. Yes. I, I, but, and I will say on that too, you know, one of the things that about Regine Joseph's plays that I find is that they're, they're not always uh, literal or historical. So I also encourage people to come in, with an open mind um, mm-hmm. because we're going to be playing a bit with style. Um, this is not historically accurate in many, many ways. And so, sure. and none of his plays really are. He does this wonderful thing of like kind of taking impulses and inspiration and then kind of expanding it in order to have those conversations, like you mentioned. Mm-hmm. So we're kind of leaning into that, that poetic sensibility with it in many ways as well. Right. I'm glad you brought that up because even though it's historically connected to a real event, Mm-hmm. This is not based on, I, I, I've read some of the dialogue and so on, and some of the things sound almost colloquial, uh, modern times, you know, yeah. and some of the, some of the situations are, again, not historically correct, but the playwright uses them to make his larger point that we won't get into now. Right. Can I ask you what, what, what is there about directing that you enjoy? Because I can tell you what I enjoyed, but I want to hear what, what you enjoyed. Just in general, not this particular play. I think sure. we've plugged this play enough. but uh... Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I like, this is, sounds probably too simple, but I do like telling stories. I l- like putting things together. Like I like, I like the idea of pulling in the energies and ideas like puzzle pieces. So that mm. there's a bit of that puzzle piece excitement of, of how things come together and when you have these realizations and so fostering that conversation is very exciting it's also terrifying and so <laughs> there's that idea of we'll keep doing this thing to help you know this is a selfish side to help yourself grow and like and and face challenges oh geez we didn't even talk about your other job well we'll get to that <laughs> do you find that here's what i liked about directing i'll say it very quickly i like the fact that my fingerprints are on everything in the show even though it's a collaboration you know i gave the okay for everything and you know if anything works it's because i i approved it and if anything doesn't work it's because i screwed it up <laughs> but it also the negative part of it is that it also occupies your mind so much. I would wake up in the middle of the night and jot something down on a piece mm-hmm. of paper. Oh, I have to remember to tell so-and-so this, and I have to remember that. It seems like it's always occupying a larger portion of your brain than it really... Oh, yeah. How, how do you get other things done? 
It's hard. It does. You like live and breathe it. I, you know, you have these ideas come to you. I had my first show dream already, which was just woke me up and terror and all of that. <laughs> Your first show dream. Your first yeah. in a series of show dreams. Series of show dreams. <laughs> about this particular play. Yeah. Yeah. I actually, you know, I, my hope is to, to be invisible in the process. Like if I could be take my name off of it. I would just love people to never know. Like I just, <laughs> so, so yeah, helping to kind of bring all that together and then just so slowly fading away. Yeah. Yeah. And there's something, I don't know about you, but I was sorry that I couldn't see mysterious circumstances mm -hmm. and you're so deeply into this play. It's almost like, Oh, what a shame that I can't experience this for the first time, the way the audience will. Yeah. You know, you're creating this mishmash of incredible experiences and you'll never get to enjoy it. <laughs> it's so true. And that's why you need a dramaturg sometimes. You need somebody to come in and give you that perspective because, I mean, even from the beginning, I have read this play since 2016, so I was familiar with it. And it was interesting when people read it for the first time recently and hearing their sort of shock and awe, I had to go, oh, right. Oh, right. That's ex I forgot. That's <laughs> that okay. is. Yes, absolutely. That's a thing. That's a stunning moment right there. I, I forgot that right. that's so startling. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. Yeah. Kate, I'll, we can wrap this up quickly. But what, what do you have going on in the future? What, what future plans do you have? So I am uh, during the day, I am the new program director for Duville's MFA in acting, which was just launched this year. So that's taking up a lot of my time. <laughs> Thank you for, for doing that, because I forgot to ask you, you are you doing that now or that's coming? Oh, no, we're in it. It's happening. It's happening now. And what is that? What does that involve for you? So it's uh, we're really launching this program. So we have a cohort that it started this year um, and it's really, you know, developing the curriculum, bringing in more faculty, recruiting students, trying to just expand what this opportunity is, which is wonderful because it's the first uh, MFA acting program in Western New York. Um, mm -hmm. And I, I, I'm very excited by it. So that certainly takes up a lot of time. And then I'm also going to be, I think I can say this, I think it's public, we're remounting people, places and things, which um, I had done at the Kavanoke in the spring, but unfortunately was canceled quite early due to COVID. I, I was one of the few people who saw it <laughs> the night before you canceled. Oh, so you have, you have the exclusive. Yeah, I, so yeah. I think we got five maybe chosen. Anything else? So those are the main things. And then I I have two projects in the year after that um, I'm excited about, but I'm sure. Can't be announced yet. Right. Can't be announced, but I do have some things coming down the line. And you were doing something with Shays, were you not? I was. I was previously at Shays in the education department. In the education department. So this, the, the Duval University thing started as of this August or started last year? I started in June. It all happened pretty quickly. Okay. So I was at Shays until June and then I got this opportunity and started at Duval and jumped right in. Oh, that's wonderful. That's a, a great choice. Good for you, Lorraine, to pick this woman. And and good for you, Katie. I love you. I've always enjoyed talking to you. I appreciate so much in your hour of <laughs> your hour of illness that you've dragged yourself out of your sick bed <laughs> to talk well, to me. Well, I'm glad we were able to do it. <laughs> yeah, I'm just so sad I couldn't see you in person. But I will see you in person eventually. And, and I hope to be there opening night for uh, guards at the Taj. I am so looking forward to it. And I will see you on the 19th for your podcast special. Oh, that's right. That's, right. that's five days later. We're doing the, that. I, yeah. I've made up my uh, 
list of questions and things of so much to talk to him about. Uh, yeah. I know my biggest fear with all of these things is don't screw it up. <laughs> yes, that is that is my director fear. <laughs> <laughs> all right, Katie Mellinson, thanks so much for joining me. I hope you get better soon and uh, and I'll see you soon. Thank you so much for inviting me on. It was a pleasure. Take care. Bye-bye. Yes, and now you got to put it in paper bags. Giant paper bags. you got to put all the leaves in a giant paper bag. They won't collect them if you put them in plastic anymore. Oh, never mind. Hey, Katie Mellinson, what a delight it was to talk to her. I got so wrapped up in the conversation that I forgot to ask her about this little movie that she was in and that she starred in, and then you can find yeah, you can find clips of it on YouTube. But anyway, I forgot to talk to her about that, and, and I also did find out that People, Places, and Things, directed by Katie Mellinson, the Duville Cavanoke production, is going to return in January for a special production at 710 Main. So we'll keep you posted on that. And I did, in fact, see opening night of Guards at the Taj. I cannot recommend it highly enough. This is a very unusual play. It's not going to be something that you just expect. Well, you know, it's a happy ending and there's, you know, guy meets girl and all that. It's not that at all. The story revolves around these two guards the night before the Taj Mahal is to be revealed to the world. And... How these two guards get wrapped up in a situation where they have to take part in some very difficult decision-making. I'll leave it at that. It is thought-provoking, it is serious, it is very funny, but it is also horrifying in some parts. At the same time that it is beautiful. And don't get me wrong, it's not horrifying, you know, in a, in a sickening sort of way, but it is, it takes the concepts of beauty and friendship and duty and devotion and it mushes them together. You have to see it. Guards at the Taj running at Road Less Traveled. Go to roadlesstraveledproductions.org to get your tickets. It runs until December 11th. And finally, I do need to plug that we are doing a live off-road recording session with Rajiv Joseph, the playwright of Guards at the Taj and several others. It's at 2 o'clock on the 19th at the theater. I'm going to talk to him about his life, his writing, and this play. If you would like to see him and hear what he has to say, come to the theater, 456 Main Street, on November 19th at 2 p.m. I hope to see you then. Of course, that recording will then show up in December as an off-road podcast, but if you want to see it live, come on November 19th. And that's it for this episode. Our thanks to Katie Mellinson. We'll be back in a couple of weeks here on RLTP's Off-Road with me, Pete Pomisano. Pete Pomisano.